Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. Well, the view from the ground on this particular day, on this day, when they looked up and they saw, the view was that of a holy presence. That was hard to understand and explain, but the presence of God fell on the top of a mountain. This was their their view in the form of a great cloud resting there just on the top. And it looked like to them, it was a cloud of consuming fire. That it was just resting there, not going, it wasn't blowing away, just resting on top of this mountain. And then there they saw someone, one of them, one of their own, saw one of them up on that same mountain with God. And God was calling him to enter into this great cloud, to come, to come inside, to come and be in the presence of God. This man was going now to be face to face with the God of Israel. It had been generations since anything like this had happened, to be in the physical presence of God. And so the people waited patiently. They could not wait to hear and see what would happen when he left that cloud. And so they waited at the bottom for 40 days and 40 nights had gone by. And then finally, out of that cloud, on top of that mountain, came Moses. Tablets in hand and instructions to share with the nation. The nation had just left Egypt. The great exodus had taken place. The very first, what they will call the exile. And God shared with Moses on the top of that mountain for 40 days and 40 nights the construction of the tabernacle. The rules for offering, the placement of where the Ark of the Covenant needs to be. He even talked about the furniture that was to be used inside of the tents when they're setting it up. He even said what the priests are to be wearing when they go into the presence of the Holy of Holies. He talked a lot about how they should be living with their lives. Even the incense they should be burning at what time of the day. And so God gave Moses his blueprint to keep Israel holy in an unholy world. And thus, out of the cloud that night was born the law of Moses, the tabernacle. Now, the place you see here is where Israel could be visually reminded of the power of God that they serve. There is hope, there is order, there is atonement, there is forgiveness walking off the mountain that night. 
The God of Israel had heard his people's cry out of exile into the wilderness and in the desert. God gave his people life. Oh, Lord, may we never forget you on what you did on this day forever to come. But we pick up almost a thousand years later. After Moses had left the mountain, after he came and the tabernacle was established, after the second exile from Babylon, and God begins to now question the heart of his Israel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity, as always, to dive into your word and to open it and to break bread with one another. God, I pray specifically right now that we take this scripture, these words, and we, 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 help us understand them, how to apply them. Father, sometimes when we read, especially the Old Testament, it, it can be kind of confusing. We don't live a life like that. We're not familiar with those customs and those ways. Lord, can you please make it simple for us so we can honor you in what we do? Lord, we ask you to accept our worship today. And then I pray that as your people, we open our hearts so that you can speak to us at this time. Lord, if I say anything that is not true of the gospel, not true in this Bible, correct me on the spot. And now, Father, I pray now that we, as your people collectively, approach you for who you are, the King. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, this morning, we pick up where we left off last week. And if you haven't been with us since last week, we're in Malachi. I wouldn't necessarily, this is a book that we often dive into, but in an effort at least for me as the preacher and as I'm studying in an effort to make sure that I'm covering all of God's word, I want to select some books that maybe we don't spend a lot of time in. What does God have for us here? And when I landed on Malachi and particularly when I started my study on it, I asked a question to God. God, what do you have for us here? What is in here for this? So just as, as a reminder, because because right now, from what, what Commissioner Busby just read, it sounds like we've gone to a zoo. And there's a lot of animal talk. And there's a lot of, uh, this one's got a broken leg. This one's kind of blemished a little bit. And it sounds like, what are, what, what are, they, what are we talking about? What are we doing with all these animals? This is not a system or a style that we use anymore. But I am hopefully today, or dive in and see exactly what does God have for us today from the book of Malachi. So just as a brief reminder, the nation of Israel is not doing well right now. They have now been free for 100 years from the Babylonians and the Persians. So this generation has only experienced freedom. And if you recall last week, we talked about how the graduating classes of today have no memory of 9-11 because they weren't born yet that this is how the people of Israel were, is that they've only known freedom. They only know the land that has been given to them from their ancestors. They've already rebuilt the temple. They've reinstated the sacrifices, their worship toward God. 
And now they can finally, as a nation, as a family, as a people, can finally worship the Lord God the way that was commanded to Moses generations ago on right there at Mount Sinai. Except that's not what was happening. It's not what was happening. If you remember the first dispute, the book of Malachi is written up in disputes. That Malachi is writing out the voice of God to his people. And so Malachi is not necessarily saying what his thoughts are. He's writing what God's direct words are to his people. And he has six disputes. Now, the first dispute we talked about last week was a reminder, really, that you're my chosen people. I chose you, O Israel. But yet, you act as if you're hated among the nations. And he, just, he went into detail with this. You see, Israel had become contempt with God. Contempt. Let me tell you what that is. Contempt is indifferent. Just contempt is, it just is. He's become contempt with God. They viewed him as a ritual to perform. A checkbox, if you will, to check that you got your weekly sacrifice in to the priest on time. The purpose and the meaning of the entire sacrifice system in the Old Testament have been completely lost on the people of Israel. It's, it's one thing, I'm going to tell you, that it's one thing to be uneducated on a subject or a topic or even on the sacrifice system itself. And then to not know or be aware of why certain things are done a certain way, but it's something completely different when you know exactly what the purpose of it is, yet you still approach it with contempt, with indifference. Now I'm going to tell you from what I've read and from what I studied is that God noticed. He noticed. He noticed that Israel was going through the motions that his own chosen people were just going through the motions of worship. That it had been a while that God can see, he can feel, he knows that it's been a while since a pure heart has actually come to the altar. Since a pure heart had given an actual sacrifice to him. And so then God then shares right here his second and his third dispute with his people of Israel. He says to them, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, he says, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect? And then right here, God speaks to someone specifically. Not, he's no longer addressing just the nation of Israel. He, he turns his focus on someone specific. God speaks directly now to the priest. And he says, it is you, O priest, who show contempt to my name. And the second and the third disputes are directly with the priest of Israel. The ones who were responsible with the upkeeping of God's holy temple and practices. This was their response. This was here. 
they have the authority on, the, on behalf of God to oversee the sacrifice, the practices, and the spiritual holiness of a nation. He says, you call me master, but you disrespect me publicly, he says. You see, it was the priest's job to inspect the sacrifices. This is what they did. This was their role, was to inspect all of the sacrifices that were coming to them. They were the ones with the authority to determine if it was presented, if it was, if it was decent, if it was good, if it was without blemish. They were the ones who were given the authority to present this to the Lord on behalf of the people of Israel. This goes all the way back to that moment when Moses came off the mountain and he had instructions for them that the God has spoken to me. God has shown me the way how we could be a holy people in this world. And so that became the book of Leviticus. And there the priest would know that Leviticus 20 states that sacrifices are to be without blemish. Otherwise, God won't accept it. It was the priest who brought the offering forward. They are the ones that brought it into the tabernacle. Not the people, not you and I. We didn't walk it in and say, here you go, Lord, this is from my family. It was given to a priest who had the authority under God and the responsibility to make sure that this met the, the Levitical standard. And then they brought it in on your behalf. So what was the priest's response? What was their response to God coming down on them? This is what they said. How? How have we shown contempt for your name? How, God, have we dishonored you? How have we disrespected you? This is the priest now collectively speaking to the Lord God. The priest, I have to believe when I was reading this and studying this, I have to believe that the priest weren't even aware that they were dishonoring God with their actions. That the very peoples whose authority was to make sure that your sacrifice was accepted before the Lord either didn't know the law itself or had such contempt for it that they didn't care. That they were in charge of nurturing a nation and that they didn't care. Just give me what you have. Well, this one, that doesn't matter. Just give it to me. We'll bring it. We'll just bring it to the Lord. And so God then, he goes on to the priest and he starts to give them specifics. He wants them to know of what their sins are. How they have presented animals, he says. That they have brought animals that were blind, that were filled with disease. They had broken limbs. Animals, God says, that even an earthly king wouldn't accept. I am the creator, preserver, and governor of all things, yet you treat me lower than an earthly king. And so then God tells them in verse 10 that it would be better. I mean, I want you to hear this. He tells the priest, he tells them that it would be better to just shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fire on my altar. Wasted fire, he says. That your offering, now this may be a little tough to hear, just, just bear, hang with me here. We're, 
we got to get through this. This is the word of God. But he's telling them that your offering is useless. It means nothing to me. Like God is telling the priest this. That it's better to just close the temple because it doesn't matter. Now imagine the seriousness of this. Imagine what we're talking about. The priest whose job it is to oversee the tabernacle, he got himself, the one that you are sacrificing to, the one you're trying to honor, the one that you're trying to bring worship to, says, stop. This means nothing to me. Nothing. This should be a wake-up call for the nation of Israel. And it should be a wake-up call for any priest, pastor, reverend that ever hears the voice of God say that. It says, stop. And then here, he says, the very fact that you're in my temple is defiling my name. Now, you might be sitting there thinking to yourself that God sounds like a mean old man, a grumpy guy that woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Maybe an old man that's stuck in his old ways. And in fact, I'll tell you that the world views God exactly just like this. Old-fashioned, out-of-date, and irrelevant. And what we read here in the scripture right now in Malachi chapter 1, when we're going through this piece right here, our eyes are seeing what our earthly eyes want us to see out of this scripture. But I'm going to tell you right now, because I sat on this for a little while. Lord, how do I preach your dispute to the, to the nation of Israel under Malachi? What is it there? And in, and, and in prayer and in, in, in reading and studying, I see that God, at least of my interpretation of it, I have to say before that it has to be when, when, I, when I came to this, that God isn't upset because they're messing up on the sacrifices or that they messed up one of the 613 laws of Moses that were given to them. I have to say that he's angry because of the condition of their offering is a mirror of their heart. That this has to be the reason why. It's not, it's not, the, it's not the, 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 the lamb or the sacrifice, oh, that has a broken leg. Well, then it, that's useless to me. Give me, I want, I want better. I want more. I'm the best. I, I have to say when I study, it was that you in your own heart, is a, the offering, the condition of the offering is the mirror of our hearts. That we said, we know what we're offering. And that's all I'm going to give you even though I have more here. And the fact that they were comfortable going before God, not just the people, but the priest, that they were comfortable going before God with such carelessness mirrors their feelings toward God himself. So what happens? What happens when God's people are so contempt? When, when, when a whole people are okay with this type of life. Well, God, God tells them in verse 11. He tells them. He says, my name. My name will be great among the nations. From the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name. Because my name will be great among the nations. In other words, 
He's telling them that the Gentiles, the ones who are not the nation of Israel, the ones who I do not have covenant with, with with Jacob and Abraham, that the Gentiles, their worship, they worship me better than my own people do, is what he's saying right now to them, that their offerings are pure, that they have come into a real life experience with the creator of the universe, and that when they go before him, their offering is a pure heart. And he's telling his chosen, his people, nation of Israel, that I accept theirs and I don't accept yours. That their heart is filled with true worship. And it's a sad day when the nation, when the nations know that I am God and my own people don't. That this is where he is in Malachi. This is where we find ourselves at the end of chapter one. There's still three more chapters. But this is an important book. And then he just wants to address them. He just wants to have a moment with them. And he wants to talk to them about why they feel the way that they do. Because they respond back and said, we're weary. We're tired. In fact, someone says, you're a burden. This is a burden. And he says, let me tell you why you feel this way. Let me come, let me tell you. He says, they feel weary and tired and lost like a nation without a king. They feel empty. And this is because, this is because the act of worship, the act of worship itself isn't just to satisfy God, but it is also to satisfy our soul. That worship is a meeting place. It's a union between God and our soul that their souls are, are hurting. They're longing to be in union with the true God. But emptiness produces emptiness. That when we come to meet with God and expect to have nothing, then that's what we get. And then we turn around and give that same thing to everybody else. But this is it. That worship, I'm gonna tell you now, worship is never meant to be weary or empty. It's not meant to be that way. And so here, at the end of chapter one, God gives his final word, his last say on the matter of these two disputes. Now remember, as we talked about last week, that each dispute that God gives in the book of Malachi kind of goes the same way. They have the same flow to them. First, God gives the dispute. Israel then responds. And then God comes back and gives the final word. And remember that these disputes, all of them, are designed to give them reassurance of his love. But then they're also designed for his rebuking for their disobedience. You see, we very much enjoy talking about the God of love, and he is, by the way, the God of love. But like any father, you have to discipline. There is obedience, that there is the reality that sometimes we're the ones that sin, and then we expect God to just wash it under the carpet. <laughs> but there are times when you, and I'm not, listen, I'm with you here. It's just by some contractor's design that I'm up on a platform. I'm with you. 
that sometimes when we go before the Lord, we do it in a sinful way. And this is what Malachi is about. Now, it's not designed to make you feel bad, and that's not what we're getting at. It's not, nothing guilt, nothing like that. It's just taking the words from the book and putting them out. And so here we are, that there has to be, here in the final word, has to be a point where he looks at Israel and just says, you're sinful. And so he says to them, I can't let this continue. He tells Israel, cursed is the deceiver who has an acceptable sacrifice, but instead offers what is blemished. For I am the great I am, your king, and my name will be feared among the nations. Now Moses learned this when he was approaching Pharaoh. Joshua learned it when he was marching around Jericho. Gideon learned it when he was fighting the Midianites. And in Malachi right now in his book is reminding them of this very thing because in the very near future, coming just around the corner, a new enemy will be coming for Israel. An enemy that rules with an iron fist, whose name will not be calling upon Jehovah, but instead will be coming to oppress, to claim, and to take. And then, O Israel, whose name will you be calling out to? Israel, hear me today, the Lord says. And church of today, take notes. That there are things, I'm going to say, that are in these words in Malachi that are for us right now today. No, we don't. Actually, I'm very grateful that we don't sacrifice animals anymore. I'd have to really study up on my... Uh, biology and zoology and all that other stuff. In fact, I may come to you, you know, Jasper, for that, you know, get your, you know. But I'm just saying is that thank goodness we don't have a system like that. Not that it was irrelevant. No, 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 no. But how can we come and offer a lamb when Jesus himself was the ultimate sacrifice? There's nothing, there's nothing left on this earth that can, can bring before the Lord and say, here, accept my offering of this, this, this lamb without blemish. When God already himself said, I've already provided the lamb. I'd already given you the one. And it wasn't that, that, that it was a system that God said, well, this is broken. Let me try to fix it. It was a system that said, let me bring my son. Let me bring him into your presence. Let me make him the actual sacrifice. And you and I today, we come together, we meet in church like this because of him. He has given us salvation. He has given us grace. He has given us a chance to be in union with God now today. Not just when we go to the other side or in heaven, but now today we can be in the presence of God because of this man named Jesus. And so yeah, when we look at Malachi, we kind of say, well, I don't understand. I don't, the priests do, they, they take the, they are the ones? We don't understand this and we don't need to. What we have to understand from the book of Malachi and coming off the first chapter are these few things that it has showed us that, that it is easier than what we may think to serve God and his people while living in complete sin. Totally contempt and indifferent for God himself. That we can lead others to God, but yet be so empty in ourselves. 
it also showed us that not everything that is offered to God as worship is accepted by God as worship. This is important to know, church. So we can sit in conference rooms and plan Sunday services, and we do, and we do so intentionally. But understanding that God is the one we're worshiping, not each other, not the system, not this or that, not the church, not even the army, but it's God himself. This is why we approach him with a heart, Lord, accept our worship. Accept our worship, Lord. The things that we've planned, the things that we've done, the prayers, this, all the stage, the band, all of this sort of, accept this. And then we have to consecrate it. We have to move it aside and say that this is gonna be designed to worship the God, the true God. This is what we do. And we learn that in Malachi. All worship isn't always accepted by God. And then we also learn that God would rather you close your church than go through the motions. And in fact, just 18 months ago, we all had to do exactly just that. Every church had to close their doors, didn't they? We were no different. We had to shut them for the first time in our life closing the temple doors. And I'm going to say, not just for us, but for anyone, what better way to see if we're just going through the motions then? And it showed us, the scripture showed us that true, genuine, sacrificial worship doesn't make us grow weary, tire us, but instead it fills us up. Because anytime you're in the true presence of God, there is a union taking place. There's an outpouring taking place on his people. This is how revival starts. This is how we walk away from a place like this and feel like we just love every person on the earth. That there's no ounce of hate in our souls because all we see is a child of God. That when people come to the army because they're hungry, they're homeless, that we just embrace them with open arms, that you are a child of God. This is how we see God changes our eyes a little bit. That we're finally, finally leaving. And I guess their question is, you and I, are we leaving the presence of God filling empty, feeling weary. And I'll just close with saying that if you are, it might not be what you're bringing to the table that's causing the weariness, but instead, what you're not. What you're not bringing to the table. And so as your pastor, I have to ask, what is it that you're holding back? What is it that you're not bringing to God? Now, many of us this morning experience a true relationship of worship. Your cup has been filled and it overflows. And there are some that our cup is getting drier and drier. And I understand that all of us are in a different place. But I close Malachi chapter 1 with this. 
that worship is serious business for our God. It's something that is designed for his people, you and I, to always be in communion with him so that we can refill our souls, not, not, a, not a, a gumball machine, right? You put a quarter in and get a gumball on, not like that. No, no, no. But that we go before him so he burns away everything else, all this junk, all this stuff. And then we walk out and go, I love you. <laughs> I love you. And it shows. So this morning, figure out where you are. Are you just going through the motions, leaving your best at home? Are you putting your first, fruit, first fruit, uh, fruits through your best sacrifice to him? I mean, you read what I just read, and you saw that not only does, does he desire our worship, but our souls desire him. The hearts of worship. Are we pursuing together the great I am, the great king whose name is feared among all the nations? as a holy God. And may we, may you and I live like this. Father, I just pray right now that here in the first chapter of Malachi, that we walk away with the sense of the importance of worship to you. That God, we, we pray, genuinely, earnestly pray to accept our worship, Lord, that it comes from a place of pure hearts that, Lord, when we come together united like this, and what a special and great day with addition of council members and, and acts of worship and all the, but God, we pray now that we've put you on the forefront, the focus of who we are, that the Salvation Army, that we, we move because we believe in the actual God of Israel, the King, the great I Am. Lord, accept our worship. And may it be pure before your eyes. And this is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And next week, we will look at chapter 2. Listen. Whew. Chapter 1's done. Malachi's uh, deep stuff. It really is. And I'm, I'm, I'm growing personally more as I'm diving into it. Um, but chapter two, and there is, and I'm telling you that there's some really special stuff coming in this book for us here today. God bless you all, and may the Lord be with you. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.